I guess that works better, right? Um, California at a uh, summer festival. El Paso, Akron. There are many families today who are missing family members who were tragically killed. And we want to pray for them. Now, one reason we're going to pray for them is that they will open their heart to God's presence and comfort. Unfortunately, a lot of people have the motto that uh, everything happens for a reason, which is a very scary, edgy thing because it can put fault for engineering the problem that you need a reason for. You see what I'm saying? God had nothing to do with people getting shot other than being grieved. We live in what the Bible calls a fallen world. God made this world to be way different. We humans have taken it, and we have broken it. We've broken within ourselves, relation to other people, relation to God, relation to the planet. And God is grieved over that in general and over these deaths in specific. So join me to pray for the people who are missing loved ones to open their heart. To realize that God is there for them. He didn't cause it. He's there for them and wants to comfort. They'll hurt the rest of their lives. But it makes a big difference. The Spirit's presence is in that deep place of our heart where that loved one dwelt. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you. You made this universe so incredible. We see the precision of the of the universe, in the macro world, the micro world. And we see how you intended things, but we humans have had a choice. You gave us shell. We have messed up our part of it. And part of the consequence of that is that people die tragic deaths. You grieve over that. That's not what you intended. And you want to be present to those who are living in the aftermath of that without a loved one at the table tonight. Father, we pray that you will remove confusion from their hearts, that they will open their hearts to you, receive from you a comfort that no one else can provide. That goes deep into the heart. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a bulletin, um, some page of the bulletin is a picture of me. I'm not trying to promote myself. I'm trying to promote your well-being. Part of the ministry of the Oreo is I'm available for counseling. And I've been doing that for 43 years on the Western Slope and before that in graduate school and seminary for training. We want to help you know that there is hope and direction when you're facing concerns and problems and difficulties, personal or relational, whatever they may be. And so the bottom part of the bottom page, uh, don't don't read it now. Uh, this afternoon, there's nothing on but golf and bowling, so read it then. This will be more interesting. It describes what you can expect. And you can tell me, peakdog at theorchardlife.com. And you're like, how does a pastor get under peak dog? Well, here's the deal. Uh, I've climbed all the 14ers several times. And one time, I was with Lou Dawson. We were climbing Pyramid. And we got up on the ridge, and if you know Pyramid, you know that, that pops you up above Timberline. Somehow above Timberline, I just come alive. And Lou said, man, you got peak feet. And so about the time we got our email addresses, that had happened. So 
I became people. <laughs> it's that simple and that silly. So uh, email me if I can be of help to you, and we'll set an appointment. All right, so this morning we are going to be giving our attention to emotionally healthy <clears throat> spirituality. Emotionally healthy Christians. Are you a Christian? If you're a Christian believer in, in Jesus Christ, you may even think of yourself as a good, strong Christian. Are you emotionally healthy Christian? Well, until some years ago, I never even considered that being a part of the game. I thought, well, I'm a Christian. You grow strong in your faith. You believe what you believe with strength, and you stand there, and you tell others what you believe. You have strong moral values. And then I began to realize that sometimes even people who have good theology and carry big Bibles and good Bible studies have worries and fear and inappropriate shame, guilt. Have you ever regretted saying something to someone in anger? It's emotional maturity. You see, there's like a whole part of a how much of your life touched by feeling. You're like, wow, <laughs> every part. Every memory you have is coded with a feeling. Every hope you have is coded with a feeling. Wouldn't it be a wizard if those feelings were divinely upgraded, emotionally mature spirituality. I first became aware of this some years ago. A pastor on the East Coast had, was pastoring a very successful church. I mean, people were coming, you know, people were giving. And then one day his wife walked in and said, I'm quitting this church. I'm not going here anymore. And he's like, well, you can't do that. I'm the pastor. I mean, what are people going to say? She said, I cannot take your emotional ups and downs. I cannot be the target of your negative emotions anymore. Here was a guy who was not only successful, but a professional Christian. And yet emotionally, he was so immature, his wife threatened to leave him. Now, she didn't. They got it together, and he did this book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, which began to be talked about in, uh, among pastors, Many pastors there. And about the same time, you may have heard about emotional intelligence. Daniel Goldman uh, first pioneered that. He's a psych uh, psychologist. And you may remember the experiment. See the video of the little kid sitting in a room with a plate and an uh, adult. And on the plate is a pillow. The adult tells the child, I'm going to leave for a few seconds, a few minutes. If you will if you not eat that marshmallow, I'll give you another one. You have two when I get back. And so these videos, these precious children, they're sitting, they're looking, they're like trying not to. Some of them gobble it and some wait. And they did further studies longitudinally and discovered that those kids who were able to control their impulse and take the one marshmallow but wait for the two, they better grades in the 10th grade. Now that may sound that silly, but it, it brought a revolution in psychology to give attention to, to emotional intelligence, your EQ, not just your IQ. And it's important that we give attention to maturity, spiritual maturity, because it's important to our Heavenly Father. In fact, Jesus died so we could have it. We're going to look in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, and we're going to see some of these descriptions that give us the opportunity 
to incorporate healthy emotions into our life. Here's what he says. Jesus is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. And you may think, well, full, full maturity in Christ means that a person knows their Bible. Yes, that's true. They go to church. Yes, that would be true. They pray. Yes, that would be true. Uh, morally, they're uh, upstanding. You know, they stop selling drugs, and that's true too. But emotionally, when you hear the word spiritual transformation, what do you think of? You may think of knowledge that I know Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus are the first books of the Bible. That's, that's good. That's good. That's good. You may think of morally. Well, I don't rob stores anymore. That's good too. You want to you uh, get attention. But when you think of spiritual transformation and you are living with someone and they're you're praying for their spiritual transformation. What are you looking for? I think you're looking for them to have their emotions more appropriate for the situation. James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. Consider joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials. Have you ever been told how to feel? <laughs> Consider it joy. Wow, that sounds like a challenge, doesn't it? Have you ever been told to calm down? Have you ever told a lady to calm down? My daughter says you never do that. <laughs> Don't ever do it. Don't tell people how to feel. But here, James is saying, consider it pure joy. That means taking something from the debit side of a ledger and put it over to the credit. And this is why you can. Because, when you're facing trials, because you know that the test of your faith produces something perseverance. Would you, would you prefer to be a person of perseverance, a person of stability, a person who operates from security, or a person of impermanence, who's insecure, wishy-washy? Because you know uh, your uh, testing of your faith produces perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so you can be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Mature. Maturity is on the other side of your problems if you consider them joy knowing that the process testing your faith is going to result in strong character. And then Colossians 3, 12, and 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion. Is compassion a cognitive idea or a feeling? You feel compassion. In fact, it's, you feel it in your gut. Hopefully it results in behavior and activity, but compassion is an emotion. Kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Do you know what it's like to be impatient? We don't often think about what it feels like to be patient. We're just aware when it's gone, when we've lost it. You ever say, I lost it. Yeah. And then bear with each other. Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And then one more in Ephesians chapter 4. Oh, it said above all these virtues, put on love. Got to put that part in there. Uh, Over all these virtues, put on love, which brings them all together in perfect unity. Love 
Love is many things. It's a choice of the will. Have you ever been in love? Was there feeling involved? I hope so. <laughs> you know, if, if there wasn't, then uh, the other person, the object might question that. Uh, put on love. Now let's go to Ephesians. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. Are those feelings? Are those emotions? Brawling and slander, along with every form of malice, ill will toward others. Kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave. You see, you see a profile here of a mature Christian. And the profile of the mature Christian means that they're emotionally mature. In that they express compassion, kindness, forgiveness, that you don't see coming from them anger and bitterness and brawling. Um, emotional maturity, let me give you a definition. You may want to write this down. Emotional maturity means being aware of your feelings and the feelings of others. We'll come back to this. Most people are like, well, duh. Be aware of your feelings and the feelings of others. That means that you recognize and take responsibility for your feelings. Our feelings just go so quick. Don't we? And sometimes somebody says, well, you're mad. And you're like, I'm not. I am not. Be aware of your feelings and the feelings of others. And express your emotions appropriately to the situation in regards to others' feelings. Write that down because I want you to take that home. I want you to think about that and what it means. And see yourself. What would you be like if you lived that way? You were aware of your emotions and the emotions of people around you in a compassionate way. And expressed your emotions appropriately to the situation and others. Not blowing your top, but expressing emotions appropriately. Let me give you an example of this. Um, from God's point of view. Peace is an emotion. Without peace, we feel turmoil. We feel depression, things like that. Peace. Jesus gave us a real example of that. When he told his disciples, they were on the Jewish side of the Sea of Galilee. It was dark. It was night. Time for fishermen to put their boats up. He said, get the boats out. Let's go to the other side, to the non to the side of the lake. And they're like, oh, I don't think we want to go over there because it ain't home, folks, over there. It's the enemy. And besides, the lake is far and deep, and there'd be demons down there. They didn't want to go. They didn't. Let's go. So they went. Sea of Galilee is below sea level with high mountains around. And so storms can come violently and unexpectedly. So halfway across, certainly, a storm comes up. And it is so scary that the fishermen, seasoned fishermen, are crying out in panic and fear. And I can just imagine Matthew, they count, and he's probably just completely flipped with fear. And so one of them says, let's wake Jesus. Because they discovered Jesus was in the back of the boat during the storm. They go back, and they say, teach you care if we drowned. And he wakes up, and he gets up, and he speaks to the storm and calms the storm. When the storm calms, the disciples probably calm. Now, look what happened here. Jesus carried peace within him. 
when he faced the various storms, he knew, he counted it joy, but he knew the Father's peace was in him. And so when everybody else around him was staying, he got up, peace, and he brought peace to the situation and peace to the others in the situation. So here's the principle. If you're emotionally mature in a difficult situation, and you have peace within you because of your faith and trust in God, everybody's storming around you, but you don't have to be storming. In fact, you can influence others or the situation and bring calm and peace. But you can't do it unless you start with what? Peace in your own heart. You can steal any storm you can sleep through. That's what Jesus showed us. But you've got to start inside from God with a peace and an emotional material to deal with situations that are a challenge. Now, we all know what emotional, emotional immaturity looks like. If someone were to say that person's acting emotionally insecure, what would you, how would you describe that behavior? Childish, certainly. And what is childish behavior? Not rational. And what, what would be descriptive? What would you observe in that person's behavior? If you've been in the cereal aisle with a two-year-old, you can't have the Cocoa Puffs or whatever it is these days, you see a tantrum. You see emotional immaturity. Unfortunately, you go to college and you can see the same thing. You go to the workplace or school. It's the same. You can go to retirement homes and see emotional immaturity. Oftentimes, we think about it being violent, explosive, to the point where we kind of say, well, I'm walking on eggshells all the time because that person's, their emotional immaturity is dangerous. Their anger is scary, right? So we know emotional immaturity when it shows up on that side of anger. But there's another kind that shows up that's very subtle. Some people are afraid of their emotions. In your household growing up, was it okay for you to have feelings? Did your parents ever tell you not to feel a certain way or to feel a certain way? Sometimes kids grow up and their parents allow them to feel and the parents are there with them in their feelings. But sometimes mom and dad even are afraid of their own feelings and so they're always suppressed. They're very scary. And those people who grew up in homes where feelings were suppressed or maybe for other reasons, temperament, they suppress feelings. They put a cork in the bottle. Now, when you put the lid on and it's still boiling underneath. Yeah, it can even eventually. Some people are emotionally immature on the outward outburst side. Some people are emotionally immature on the inward stuff it side. And some people just don't even want to acknowledge emotions at all. Just power through. I want to give you an example because I think it'll make sense. In uh, my years of counseling people on the Western Slope, couples especially, I don't think there's been a time when this factor has not been present. I don't want to do gender stereotyping, but it may sound like that. It's what I've observed. It may not be universal. Oftentimes, a couple comes to me. And I ask, well, what's, what's wrong? And the husband's like, well, I thought things were going fine. 
Guys never know till she's packing, right? <laughs> so, so the wife begins to tell me to him what's wrong. And, and she begins to do that. She has some emotion involved in her tone of voice and description. And I can tell you that, I mean, I'm not I'm under the bus, because a woman can be very appropriate in expressing their feelings about a situation that is distressing to them. Very appropriate to express fear or anger, something at the office, something's going on at school. And so oftentimes, a woman is telling her husband about a situation uh, at school, at work, or about him, and she is appropriate emotionally. Now, what does the guy usually do in that situation? How does a man handle a woman's emotions, appropriate ones? <laughs> I mean, guys just have a difficult time. Uh, oftentimes, a guy will just want to, uh, well, there's no, nothing to see here. Let's just power on. Let's just move on. Or if it's about him, he can counterattack. She's expressing something to him, but he needs to hear about his behavior. Rather than listen and incorporate that and be okay with that, he counterattacked. Well, you also, you did this. Or he may decide it's time to go to the workshop for a while. <laughs> I'll worry, I got the cooler. I'll be back. <laughs> fight or hide, fight or flight. What would, how would it be if a, if a man, a husband, were to, were to be able to be emotionally mature when his wife is expressing emotions appropriately. Now, guys, I understand sometimes, and ladies, you do, that sometimes the emotions are not expressed exactly appropriately. Sometimes they're a little over the top. But guys, even if that happens, and your wife is speaking emotional, she's conversing emotionally, how can you interact in a way that's appropriate? Well, you start with peace. Start, remember? You listen, and you don't listen just till you get the subject to make a comment on the subject that indicates you're listening. That doesn't count, guys. And you don't listen just to defend yourself or to tell her what she should have done at work. Well, if you would just have six words guys do not ever use in a conversation with your wife. Well, if you would just have done this, or she's feeling very upset about what happened at work. Listen, and you're Mr. Fix-It. Well, if you just, first of all, she feels demeaned because she can figure out problems. She's not dumb. What's she asking for? She's asking for you to stand with her in her feelings, to look at the situation from her point of view emotionally, to have empathy for how she's feeling, to stand beside her so she's not alone. And when that happens, guys, it always ends with a hug, doesn't it? And then she wanders off, and you haven't solved the problem, but she's okay. How could that be? Because she needs to know that you have the emotional maturity to be with her empathetically when she's having a difficulty and she's expressing it emotionally to you. Just an example. But you know what I'm talking about, right? You see, we have this um, inheritance that Jesus died to provide for us. It's in Galatians 5. 
you'll want to write down this address, Galatians 5, 25, 23. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, if you believe that Jesus died on the cross to forgive you of your sins and restore your relationship with your Heavenly Father, He has sent His Holy Spirit to live in you. Like it or not, even if you were Episcopalian, you're a born-again Christian. <laughs> if you believe that Jesus died for you, you received Him as your Savior, His Spirit lives within you. And there are kinds of benefits that Jesus died so that you would receive. Are you receptive? Have you incorporated these gifts that he provides for you by his Holy Spirit? It's called the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Or do any of these have emotional overtones? Can you be spiritually mature without having any of these? I wouldn't want to be. I wouldn't want to try. Love and joy? Joy is not just happiness. Joy is a solid sense of rejoicing separate from circumstances. Love, joy, peace. Have you ever felt in the midst of a difficulty a peace that doesn't make sense? With a circumstance. That's what God wants to provide for you. Jesus depended on peace when he stilled the storm for the disciples that night. Love, joy, peace, patience. patience. Do you know what impatience feels like? Patience, you hardly notice patience because what it means is you're not taking offense. Something happens, somebody does something that before would have offended you, you don't notice it. Patience just protects you from bad feelings. Kindness, goodness, fullness, gentleness, and self-control. And there's no law against those. Did you know that there is a basket of fruit available for you spiritually? So that any time you're feeling insecure or upset, reach into that basket and pull out that banana of love. And you allow yourself to be filled with love. It's right there in the basket. It's always being held out for you. You can cultivate the fruit of the Spirit. It's called being spiritually mature, emotionally but Jesus already paid for it. You just got to take reception of it. How do we miss this part? How do we miss this emotional maturity part? It goes back to just one, two, three, four. Let me show you. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith. Right there, faith. testing of your faith. What is testing of your faith? I'm not talking about doctrine here. I'm not talking about something textbook. The testing of your faith gets down to whether or not you trust God. 
not that you trust in God or that you trust that he exists, but you trust God in the difficulty. If you trust God is there for you in the difficulty, then you can count it joy and you get patience and perseverance. Now, what do we usually focus on? The trials. Most Christians I have worked with, I find that they primarily pray that God change circumstances. God change this. God protect this. God give me that job. God bring me that person. God help me get out of this. Out of what if 90% of Christian prayers are to get God to change circumstances when his instructions are that in your circumstances, you count it joy, get ready to grow in your perseverance, being able to become mature and deal with whatever circumstances come. Mature and complete, ready for anything is what it says. So in other words, the very basic of your emotional maturity spiritually is do you trust God? Do you trust he'll be there? Not to change your circumstances, but to change your character. To change you from the inside, to strengthen you, to give you wisdom, to give you ability to be pathetic. To trust him for your character, not just your circumstances. When you're, you can't read the New Testament seriously and think that God is going to deliver every person out of every trial. <laughs> And in James, it says just as much. You have problems? Well, they have joy because, oh boy, I trust God. This is going to be great. We've got them right where we want them. They're surrounding us. That's the way we can live as Christians, with strength, security, and joy. So we miss it because we pray circumstantial prayers rather than character prayers. God... I think I can say this with assurance. God is more concerned about what's inside of you than what goes on around you. You can control more of what's inside of you than you can people around you. Have you discovered that? And so what do you do in that difficult situation that comes along? Typically in that chaos of a difficult situation, you're facing other people, facing a problem. Oftentimes people's reaction is anger. Or a person's reaction is, I'm getting out of here. We as Christians, as emotional mature, can stand. If you Google emotional maturity, you will find uh, many websites that give you characteristics of emotional maturity. One of them is to being able to admit that you're wrong. But there's another one that says that you have a distance, a space between your feeling and your reaction. Think about that. Something happens, here's the feeling, bam, there's the reaction. And you regret what you said. Trusting in God, being emotionally mature, gives you a safe space between feeling and reaction. So that when you react, when you respond, you can do so redemptively. You don't fight and you don't run away. You stand there. And you may not know what to do, but you ask God. I consider this joy. I don't know what to do. I trust in you. Give me what I need to know. I need to be redemptive in this situation. To express your nature 
into this situation. Emotionally mature Christianity. Don't go home without it. Don't leave home without it. When Jesus died, he crossed for us in great anguish. And yet he saw the joy set before him. He gave his, his life. His, the, the bread reminds us of his body, the body, of his blood. When he died for you, he bought for you an inheritance that includes the fruit of the Spirit that is there for you. So when you partake of the communion today, when you take of the bread and the cup, ingest just physically. Say, God, I want to ingest all the emotional positives and benefits you've got for me in this Christian life. Let me pray for you. Father, only you can connect with the heart deep enough to bring about change in the conscience, the seed of our being. And I pray that as some people have heard this today, that they've had a vision of who they can be, that they have hope for getting out of being stuck with the inability to deal with situations and people appropriately, and that they'll have the courage to look within and to recognize and be aware of their own feelings, and the courage to recognize and interact with appropriately the feelings of others. We trust you, God. Jesus gave his life for us. What would you hold back? We pray that you would renovate our character, upgrade our emotional maturity in Jesus. Amen.